Blog Talk Radio. Listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. It is Tuesday, December 5th, 8.30 Eastern Time on the East Coast, 5.30 on the West Coast. And we have the final college football rankings this week after five straight rankings, six straight rankings from the College Football Playoff Committee. Um, the regular season, with the exception of the Army-Navy game, has come to a conclusion. Um, I don't want to say anticlimactic conclusion because there's no such thing, but the games this weekend really weren't as good as, as we hoped or we thought that they might be. But nonetheless, what an incredible season. We're joined, as always, by our college football guru from Birmingham, Alabama, Mr. Kip Kiefer. Kip, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chip. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot of drama, unfortunately, in those games, but... Um... Uh, it, it's all sorted itself out and a little controversy on Sunday, but not as much uproar as I expected. So that was surprising to me too. I think that's right, Kip. I think, uh, you know, uh, Sunday at noon, uh, the, the committee came out with their final rankings. Really the only question that was, uh, up in the air was what they were going to do with the number four spot. I mean, uh, uh, Clemson took care of business against Miami in the ACC championship, so it made sense that they would stay at number one. <clears throat> Oklahoma defeated TCU in a rather businesslike fashion like they did the first time. Uh, Georgia beat Auburn in the SEC championship game. We'll talk about that game in a little bit more detail in just a minute, but we knew that the winner of the SEC championship game was going to have a spot locked up in the college football playoff. And so then the question was, was the committee going to choose a one-loss Alabama team uh, who did not play on Saturday, <clears throat> or were they, they going to take a two-loss Ohio State team, a Big Ten champion Ohio State team, um, who did play, and, and they beat a Wisconsin team that was previously undefeated, but uh, that nobody except for maybe in Wisconsin really thought they were all that good. Um you know, had they made a statement in that game like they did a few years back against Wisconsin, you know, maybe we'd be having a different conversation than we are today, Kip. But the reality is they didn't. Um, they ended up uh, winning that game. I think the final score was 27-21. to 21. Um, mm-hmm. A business-like performance. Um, but nonetheless, it wasn't enough. But I was a little surprised that the committee did not put Ohio State in above Alabama. I was happy that they didn't, although I did have mixed emotions about it because uh, I always enjoy it when an Alabama team and Alabama fans are disappointed. <laughs> but I enjoy it more when Ohio State fans are disappointed. So uh, it uh, it worked out pretty well. But, Kip, your thoughts on the final uh, college football playoff rankings? 
Well, I mean, I think they got it right. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was impossible to forgive Ohio State for going on the road on November 11th and giving up 55 points to an unranked Iowa team, losing the game by 31 points, 55 to 24, for their second loss. No team with two losses has ever gotten in the college football playoff. I think you're absolutely right, Chip. If they would have come out, one of the only reasons they managed to get in a couple of years ago um, with a bad loss on their agenda, I think it was to Virginia Tech that year, um, was was they bombed Wisconsin. That was back in 2014 when they had up winning the national championship. They were playing better than any team in the country at the end of the year. They won 59 to nothing against Wisconsin. I think you hit it on the head. If they had had a performance like that, then maybe that could have put them over the top. Um, you know, I didn't think they were particularly dominant against Michigan. They won the game, but Michigan was really a subpar team, as it turned out, with no offense whatsoever. So just the, the overall resume, but it surprised me, and I, you know, I just heard you say it, that it sounded like you expected Ohio State to get the nod. Everybody kind of uh, figured that the committee was going to do the politically correct and the balanced thing and reward a, another conference Surely they're not going to put a second SEC team in over a conference champion, Ohio State. And even watching the selection show, uh, I think one or two of the panelists, including Kirk Herbstreet and, and David Pollock and uh, Joey Galloway, uh, they, they were of the opinion that, um, that it was going to be Ohio State. I think Galloway was the only one who said it should be Ohio State. The other three panelists basically said they thought it should be Alabama. And uh, when the Alabama logo popped up, I think it was a big surprise. And I imagine, what do you think, Kurt Herbstreit left his seat. He left his seat in the studio and had to be brought back in. (laughs) Unbelievable. Of of all the people that reacted to that uh, Alabama logo popping up on the screen, although he covered it well and, uh, and acted like it was a big, great, exciting opportunity, I bet Dabo Sweeney wasn't real happy to see the Alabama logo flash up on his screen. Uh, I, I think he would well, have rather seen that big O from the Ohio State because he had memories of beating them 31 to nothing last year in that same game. So I don't think Dabo is probably that happy that he's got to play Alabama again. But uh, for college football fans, the storylines are pretty good in the playoffs. Kip, I think you're exactly right. In fact, that's what Kirk Herbstreet on, uh, said. On Once he uh, returned to his seat and was back on the set uh, at ESPN <laughs> Studios, that's ex- exactly one of the observations that he made was, you know, um, I would have loved to have seen Dabo Sweeney's face privately when that came mm-hmm. through because I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I think he much would have much rather have faced Ohio State. The Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, Steve Butler is with us yet again on the Red Zone Sports Report. Oh, he was uh, he was absent last week. He had uh, he had a meeting with the Tennessee Athletic Director John Curry that we broke on the <laughs> podcast last week. Yep, yep. and um, and we were able to report by the end of the podcast that uh, that Steve had indeed turned down the Tennessee job. So Steve, Mister Savage Burn. It's good to have you back on the podcast and, and only promise us that if another school makes an overture for your services, your coaching services, I certainly hope that we don't have to go through the sports information department in order to get you to be a guest on the Red Zone Sports Report podcast. 
Well, Chip, you're going to have to go through the Kennesaw State Communications Department because yes. I told you I turned down the Tennessee coaching job to be the Kennesaw State water boy. So yes, that's sir. what's going to have to work for now until they release me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Steve, yeah, before we get your thoughts on the playoffs, talk a little bit about the Owls and uh, and the game that you had a chance to attend uh, this weekend and only, what, the Second year of the program, Steve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Kennesaw is heading to the Elite Eight. Yeah, man, it's the third year of our program, but uh, close enough. That's right, third um, year, excuse me. The last couple of years, yep, the last couple of years we've contended for conference championship and we won the Big South Conference this year. But the big news is that we had a second-round playoff game in the FCS playoffs against Jacksonville State and Jacksonville, Alabama. And they were the third-ranked seed in the entire 2014 tournament, man. And we pulled a beautiful upset, 17-7. to Jacksonville State's led by Rock Thomas, the former Auburn running backs. We held him to under 100 yards, and our defense was just impressive. And I'm going I'm to call a bold prediction early. I think my school is going to take it all the way. Their balance is unprecedented. We lead the country in rushing. We're one of the most efficient passing teams in the country. We're top ten in defense, and we also lead the country in interceptions. I don't know, man. I think we've got the recipe for a pretty good uh, title run here. Sounds like it, and you guys are in the uh, in uh, in the same playoff with uh, James Madison University, where sport where game day was earlier this year. North Dakota State, where uh, Carson Wentz went to school, I believe. Uh, James Madison and North Dakota State are one two in the in the uh, in the seeds, and so uh, if you win this weekend against Sam Houston State, Steve, what side of the bracket is Kennesaw State on? Would they then play uh, James Madison, or would they then play North Dakota? Dakota State. Well, we'll play the winner of North Dakota State and Wofford, and Wofford is not to be slept on. They're a really good football team. The Terriers are, are pretty tough, and uh, South Dakota State plays New Hampshire, and James Madison plays Weber State. So that's the Elite Eight, and uh, we would be meeting um, the winner of the Wofford-North Dakota State matchup. So, uh, quite frankly, um, yeah, we'll take either or, but I would prefer that Wofford win, not just because of the seeding. Sure. If they won, we would probably get a home game for the semifinals. Wow. Wow. And North even Dakota if it's State not a home game, uh, South we'll Carolina is a whole lot closer than North Dakota is if you want to uh, take in the game as sure. an away fan. Absolutely. And more importantly, we do not want to play in that dome at North Dakota State. There's a reason they've won five out of the last six national championships. That's no fun. The Fargo Dome. That's right. The That's Fargo right. Dome. Inside, Game so. Day has been there twice in the last five years, so I don't blame you. Steve, what are your thoughts on the final uh, college football playoff committee rankings? Do you think the committee got it right? What do you do? What do you agree with? Disagree with? How do you think? Uh, how do you think Kirby Hokut and the crew uh, uh, performed this year? with their uh, selections, the four-team selections that we have left in uh, the college football playoff? You know, I think they definitely got it right. Um, You know, and and I know Kip's happy to hear this, but I think Alabama most certainly deserved to be in the top four. And and I think history does play a role in that. Um, They have been the best team in the last decade. And if they've only got one loss, some other teams got two losses and one losses, and they also didn't win their – um, conference championship a la Wisconsin, of course Alabama should get the nod. And not to mention, Ohio State ha- has really robbed the country for, for 30 years and sneaking <laughs> into these things when they didn't deserve it. So 
Um, they really the have. Day, I think you all understand. Yeah, this it doesn't hurt my feelings at all, and I'm so glad they beat Wisconsin. I believe I said they were going to on the show. I just never was impressed with Wisconsin. I thought their defense was overrated because of their schedule, and they really didn't have a dynamic offense, which is nothing new about Wisconsin. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't even see how USC is in the top ten, although they put them at eight. Um, I think yeah. Miami, you know, they probably got a generous ranking there. Just They're so banged up, it's hard to tell where they're at right now. They're missing five superstar players, and Auburn, of course, is missing their best two players and their two running backs. But um, I think they got it right with the top four. I would have slid Georgia up above Oklahoma and Alabama above Oklahoma, quite frankly. I think Baker Mayfield's going to find out what an SEC defense is all about, and he's just going to scream just as loud as he screamed in his arrest video that was posted on YouTube. I think Georgia's going to get after those boys pretty good. I, I think Clemson beats Alabama, though. Interesting. Well, we'll talk about matchups in just a minute because I think there's some really intriguing matchups, extremely intriguing matchups. But one of the things that I found very interesting, Steve, and I think you'll appreciate this, you know, from, uh, you know, a background in politics. You know, in politics, many times, uh, you know, uh, uh, the words of an individual, many times an elected official, that they have said in the past can oftentimes come back and bite them you know in in the future uh, the, most recently the the one that comes to mind is uh uh the uh the press secretary for the president sarah huckabee sanders um people have been retweeting a tweet that she sent out uh last year uh that said quote when you're attacking fbi agents because you're under criminal investigation comma you're losing not really good tweet for what's going on right now in the White House and with uh, the president attacking the FBI this year. So certainly I think that's a tweet that Sarah Huckabee Sanders would like to have back. But as 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 we were waiting on Sunday morning to determine whether or not the committee was going to choose Alabama or Ohio State, it was very interesting because those uh, those individuals that – were Ohio State fans that believed passionately that Ohio State should should get the nod and be number four were playing a clip over and over online on social media of Nick Saban talking about, you know, how important it is to be conference champions. And, you know, I mean, the conference champions should get in. Uh, and then uh, the flip side to that is Ohio State got in last year and they didn't have an opportunity. They weren't conference champions. Penn State was conference champions. And so, you know, both of those schools kind of found themselves in a position to make counter arguments to what they made the, uh, last year. So as we see more and more of these, I think we've only had, what, this is the fourth year of the college football playoff. So uh, we'll have more to judge from as we go into the future. But it is going to be – it is already in in, um, in year four – we have, uh, you know, we have at least two schools who have found themselves in in a pickle, kind of making arguments that were counter to the arguments they made the year before. Um, Kip, Stephen mentioned, and and uh, I do want to talk about it a little bit before we start talking about the coaching carousel and all that's going on with that, because we've got to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, there was yet another coaching announcement today. Florida State late this afternoon announced they had agreed to terms with Oregon coach Willie Taggart. So now the Oregon head coaching position comes open. And so this is the domino effect that happens every year at the end of the season. It seems more pronounced this year, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's just because of um, 
of how high profile a lot of these openings are. But we've got a four-team playoff. Um, and, and look, um, we could sit here and go round and round and round and round and talk about why one team is better than another. Um, you know, I mean, look, Clemson has a really bad loss against uh, Syracuse. Oklahoma has a bad loss against Iowa State. Uh, Georgia had a bad loss against Auburn. The three or four weeks later, they were able to avenge, albeit without a healthy carry on Johnson, which makes a huge difference. But give Georgia credit; they came to play, um, and uh, and they 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 beat Auburn very convincingly on Saturday. And then you got an Alabama team who, you know. Um, is lucky to get in. I think Nick Saban would tell you they're fortunate to get in. And I think that's a very dangerous position to uh, to be. It's interesting, Steve had talked about, you know, kind of previewing the Oklahoma-Georgia game. Um, I actually think Oklahoma's going to give Georgia all they can handle, and I'll make my arguments on why in just a minute. But I think Clemson's probably a better team than Alabama. But I think Alabama beats Clemson, Kip, and I, I think they do because the intangibles this year, I think, are working in Alabama's favor. Um, this is the one time they're probably going to go in, and I know they're a favorite on the board, two points, but you know, the reality is they're the four seed and Clemson's the one seed. Like you said, I, I think Dabo Sweeney would much rather have played the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, you know, that Alabama team did not end the season very well. Um, but in the middle of the season, they looked as dominating as any Alabama team I've seen. You know, you give them four weeks to get healthy, five weeks to get healthy because they didn't play in the SEC title game, and five weeks to prepare. And I, I think it's it's very likely that they could be in kind of mid-season form. But Kip, real quick, uh, I'll have Steve kind of handicap the Oklahoma Georgia game uh, that will be out in Pasadena, but. How do you handicap this Clemson Alabama game that'll be down in New Orleans on uh, on New Year's uh, New Year's evening? It'll be the second game, even though uh, Pasadena is on uh, uh, Pacific time and and they're two hours behind the, the New Orleans uh, time zone on Central time. Um, the Rose Bowl will be first in sequence, and then uh, Alabama and uh, Alabama Clemson will play that evening. Handicap that game for us, Kevin. <laughs> And just to follow up on what you just said, I'm actually glad to see that. The Rose Bowl traditionally is in that 5 o'clock window here on in our part of the country. The Sugar Bowl has traditionally been a night game. I, I, I think it's good to keep it, you know, sort of that way. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl is just a late afternoon New Year's Day affair. It, it shouldn't be late at night. So uh, I think that, that was, that, that's, a, that's a good thing structure-wise. As far as the game itself is concerned, I, I think you're right. And I talked a lot last week about intangibles and, and, uh, and, and other features, you know, words like that, that got away from a little bit of the matchups in, in reference to the Georgia-Auburn game. And a lot of those, I agree with you. I think Alabama has a lot of the incentive uh, things. Um, they are going to come in as, okay, we're the number four seed. They still believe they're the best team in the country. I'm not so sure this year. I, I have said consistently that I don't think this Alabama team, although it may be as talented as any Alabama team, the team as a whole has some, has some uh, problems. And their offensive line issues, uh, I think, really have come back to roost in late part of the season. You mentioned that dominant stretch in the middle of the year. Well, it turned out that was against a bunch of teams that just had historically 
god-awful seasons. Um, that started with Vanderbilt, the 59 to nothing tirade. Then they beat up on Ole Miss and Arkansas and Tennessee. All three of those teams uh, had, had times. Ole Miss recovered a little bit at the end of the year. Arkansas and Tennessee absolutely got awful. Um, so, you know, that, that, that stretch where they really looked dominant turned out to be against some pretty inferior competition, and it covered up some of the areas where they looked shaky at the end of the year when they played some decent teams like LSU who completely dominated the line of scrimmage in the game. A couple of big plays by Jalen Hurts. They won 24-10. to 10. The game at Mississippi State could have easily gone the Bulldogs' way. Um, they just didn't really know how to finish that game. They had first and goal with a four-point lead in the middle of the fourth quarter, settled for a field goal, and you almost knew that was going to be fatal because Alabama did come down and tie it and subsequently win it. Uh, the point was you could see some of the blemishes, and Auburn really exposed them. Uh, dominating the Alabama offensive line and, uh, and and had success against the depleted linebacker core. That linebacker core may be 100% pretty much except for one except for one of their main players. Uh, Sean Dion Hamilton probably will not be able to return, but uh, they should have all the other hands on deck. And uh, that's, that's a pretty interesting uh, scenario. I'm still not completely sold on Clemson's offense, although they have gotten much better at running the football as the year's gone on, and they've got kind of a three-headed monster in the backfield. So I think that's a big factor in the game. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. All right now I'm really on the fence, and it's going to be, uh, of course, we've got three and a half weeks to mull it over. But uh, I think Clemson-Alabama pretty much a toss-up right now and a lot of the intangible things, and we can't leave out the other big elephant in the room on that. Clemson, the team that beat Alabama last year after uh, just the opposite happened the year before. So the team coming in off the loss a lot of times uh, has kind of advantage, even if it's a game from a year ago. Uh, Alabama will be anxious to avenge that 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 mark that uh, they thought that uh, got taken away from them after Hurts had the uh, heroic play to put them in front. Their defense, their proudest feature, could not stop Clemson's final drive. And around here, there's still a lot of angst on Clemson's winning touchdown being about as beautiful uh, executed a pick play as you'll ever see and not called by the officials. A lot of Alabama fans still bitter about that. So uh, I I can't wait. I think the Sugar Bowl is going to be a classic. I do, too, and I tell you, I'm looking forward to this playoff probably more than I have any other, Um, only because I, I really believe all four teams in this playoff have an opportunity to win the title. It wouldn't shock me if if any of these teams won the title. Nate Silver from um, uh, the big statistician, the numbers guru from 538.com, um, he came out today with his simulations of, uh, you know, based upon thousands of different um, uh, thousands of different simulations on the games. And he has Alabama as a 30.30% favorite to win it all. Clemson at 26%. Georgia at 25%. Oklahoma at 19%. And granted, this is only, what, the uh, fourth year, Kip, I think, that we've had the playoffs. So yep. we, we don't mm-hmm. have, you know, we, we don't have decades of body work to compare it to. But of the four years, this is the closest spread between what the, what, from his statistical models the closest spread between the team that has the highest percentage, Alabama at 30%, and Oklahoma the lowest percentage, 
at 19%. It's only 11-point spread between them. So I, I do think any team can, can win this, um, uh, which makes it so fascinating. Steve Butler, the Savage Burn, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be going cross-country to Pasadena, California. And they are going to be playing the Baker Mayfield, the Heisman Trophy. He will likely have the Heisman Trophy by Saturday night, barring something incredibly unforeseen. Uh, Baker Mayfield gets the Heisman Trophy, and they go play the Georgia Bulldogs uh, in Pasadena. You had mentioned, uh, I think you would said earlier, you think Georgia's a slight favorite in that game. Walk, preview that game for us, Steve. How do you see that game playing out? No, I don't think they're a slight favorite. I think they should be a big favorite. Listen, who has Oklahoma played? Ohio State. And you've heard my impression of them. Ohio State's offense is wretched. It's really, really bad. And they've got some great athletes, but I'm just not impressed. And, I, I mean, they played TCU twice, and then they've got Kansas, Iowa State. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that, uh, that Oklahoma's going to be able to have the uh, wherewithal to handle that. UGA defense is legit. It's really good. It's a top three defense. I think the Heisman Trophy winner should be a linebacker for Georgia. I mean, that kid, Roquan, is just unbelievable. But that's just not going to happen in today's statistical environment. But uh, Well, I, if he I played in the Big Ten, it would. If he played at Michigan, he'd be a Heisman Trophy <laughs> well, winner. Sure. But that's the only school you yeah, can play at true. on the defensive side of the ball and win the Heisman Trophy. Right, a la Peppers last year, but um, and and of course uh, not Desmond Howard, but Charles Woodson many years ago. But that's right. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Texas is really down. Oklahoma State doesn't have a defense. I mean, it's just the, the, these three conferences in the Big Ten, Big Twelve, and Pac two. It's just hard for me to give any of their teams any respect till one of those thirty, forty teams plays defense. Just one of them, and I'll be you know, on board, and, and Ohio State does play defense, but they don't really have a good offense except for when they've got a fantastic quarterback. So um, that happens once every 10 years, and, you know, they compete and they hand them a trophy. Uh, but I think Clemson's going to beat Alabama. I agree with everything that, that Kip said in regards to the, the Tide. I think they are the fourth-best team in the country. But I, I think Bryant has played better at quarterback as the year went on for Clemson, and those four NFL defensive linemen they have up front, ah, I mean, I, I'm picking Clemson to win it all, and I did a few weeks back. I think they're going to peak. Um, you know, I, I had to deal with my wife when I said that they were going to win the ACC title most likely. But um, at the end of the day, I think Clemson's going to be the national champion, and Georgia's going to whoop Oklahoma. Whoop. Interesting. Interesting, Steve. I think Oklahoma beats Georgia. Um, and I think for the value on the money, <laughs> I, I'll take Oklahoma at 19% all day long. And here's why. And, and here's why. Hear me out on why. Um, I said the same thing to Georgia fans and that you're saying right now last year at this time. And that is Auburn was about to play Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. And for the month leading up to the Sugar Bowl, I said the exact same exact same thing that my Georgia fans are saying right now, and that is Oklahoma has never seen a defense like this defense that they're about to see. Um, they haven't played anybody. And I remember watching that game, and Oklahoma thoroughly dominated us. Now, we weren't as good last year as we are this year. I'll give you that. I think it was 35-19. to 19. Baker Mayfield is the real deal. And let me tell you – my thoughts on Baker Mayfield. I think he's a punk. Uh, however, however, um, 
And Oklahoma hasn't seen a defense like Georgia's, but Georgia's not seen a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. I can assure you of that. And secondly, um, Baker Mayfield is the kind of kid where if his defense is going to give up 45 points, he's going to score 48. If his defense is going to give up 50 points, he's going to score 52. And the reality is that game is likely going to play out in the first half like we think it's going to play out. Georgia's going to stop Oklahoma uh, early. Um, you know, Georgia's going to show up thinking that Oklahoma has a cupcake defense and they don't have to run the ball. Oklahoma's probably going to put Georgia in a punting, punting formation a couple of times early. It's probably not going to be the high-scoring game that everybody thinks at halftime. By the time we get to the middle of the end of the third quarter, it's going to be a shootout. And Oklahoma is going to win a shootout against Georgia every time. And keep in mind, Jake Fromm, very impressed with Jake Fromm. Uh, very impressed with Jake Fromm. I, Chef, I do, think, you really uh, think, do you really think he has everything that he said? that defense, though? Absolutely. I watched Auburn run defense through that defense like sliced butter. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely, I think. Now, look, I, as I said earlier, I think any of these four teams can win. But I, I have never seen the Georgia Bulldogs so cocky as they are right now. And <laughs> you don't talk on Superman's cape. And there's one player in this college football playoff that is head over heels better than any other player, and that's Baker Mayfield. And, and oh, wow. I'm telling you, the Georgia Bulldogs uh, have not seen a quarterback like Baker Mayfield. Not even close. Not even close. And, uh, <laughs> not even close. Not even close. And, uh, well, I hope Roquan doesn't smoke pot between now and the game like uh, Natrez Patrick did, or he might not be playing in it. But, um, but uh, have, Steve, have you ever seen the Georgia Bulldogs as cocky as they are today, ever, in your life? No, um, but you know, I, there you I, go. <laughs> normally, normally the team that is that feeling that way wins it. I mean, Clemson's that way, Alabama's that way, Cam Newton was that way. With I mean, I can go on and on and on. When you know it, you know it, and those kids are on a roll. Although I think they run into a Clemson team that beats them. Well, I tell you, if Clemson does end up winning this year, we do have to have the discussion all around the country and on this podcast. Is is Dabo Sweeney? Not only the next Nick Saban, but is he the current Nick Saban? Because at that point, he will have won, if it happens, and it could, he will have won two national titles, and he will have lost a third national title. It's hard to argue at that point that he's not on equal footing as Nick. But we got a long way to go. we got a long way to go. I, I think Alabama, I think if, 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 if you put a bullet to my head today, and I think these are going to be close, could be close games, I think the the, the – Championships going to be Alabama and Oklahoma, and and uh, I don't I'm not ready right now to predict who would win that game because I think we have to wait and see. But um, but I think Georgia's happy to be there. I think they're a good football team. I think they're a very good football team. I think they were very fortunate that they didn't get Carry on Johnson this past weekend. I don't know if Auburn had Carry on Johnson that Auburn could have beaten Georgia because I do think Georgia is probably a slightly better team than Auburn. Um, but we'll never know. You know, we'll, we'll never know the way it was. But uh, I just remember being in this position last year. Kip 
and uh, Oklahoma beat the daylights out of the Auburn Tigers in the Sugar Bowl. And I just remember going, man, this Baker Mayfield kid, he's a punk. He's a punk. I don't know that I want to invest $100 million in him as an NFL owner. I don't know that I would want to do that. But uh, I'll take Oklahoma at 1-5 to five odds to win the title all day long. Because I might not make money at it, but it's the best value in the money. Kip, handicap for us the Oklahoma-Georgia game in Pasadena on New Year's Day as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting element to it. You talk about being out of your comfort zone. Uh, Georgia hasn't been uh, – they made the trip to Notre Dame and the Rose Bowl in the same year. That's uh, like the first time in a half a century that they've uh, had those kind of exotic journeys. Um, so I, I think they might be a little wide-eyed. Uh, Oklahoma has, in recent years, been been more involved in these kind of games. Of course, Bob Stoops is gone, so all of a sudden you've got two really young head coaches, but uh, a lot of the uh, structure of the Oklahoma program is still in place. So, um, you know, maybe Oklahoma is more equipped for that big stage. But I, I think the key to the game, and you guys have touched on it from both sides, but I, I think the key to the game is, can Georgia uh, just consistently grind and run the football with, with Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, um, and, and Swift and Holyfield or whoever in that stable wants to take off with it? Can they, uh, can they have long, sustained drives and keep Baker Mayfield on the sideline and uh, impose their will on the Oklahoma defense, which recently has played much better, but uh, you know, there's stretches in the season where they couldn't stop anybody. And um, right. Jake Fromm, I think, has finally dispelled the rumor that, you know, he's a one-trick pony, he's a game manager, he can't throw the football. Uh, Georgia didn't need to throw the football earlier in the year. They were beating inferior teams on their schedule, 45-3, to 38-3. Uh, they just didn't – he didn't need to throw the football. But it, in times where he's been asked to, uh, finally Jim Chaney got the memo, uh, figured out the tight end is an eligible receiver – uh, Isaac Mott actually <laughs> caught two passes in the game, including a touchdown. I think he had I, I wish Jim Cheney would give Gus Malzahn that memo because we haven't yeah, used yeah, our I, tight ends I, this year either. Go ahead, Kip. I interrupted Unbelievable. You. No, 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 I was almost finished. Uh, you know, I think the, the big advantage Georgia had over Auburn, and, uh, and, and maybe this is going to be the, the, the spurt of growth that's really going to help them, they had limited pretty much the passing game in terms of even the reads – uh, they kind of cut the field in half and, and limited the kind of plays that they let Fromm run early on. I thought they kind of turned him loose Saturday. They, they haven't thrown the ball in the middle of the field all year. They hit Hardeman with a huge slant uh, that hurt Auburn uh, and set up the first touchdown for Georgia. They actually threw some swing passes to the backs, which has not happened any time this season. Uh, they, they really kind of deployed their weapons for the first time in mass. I thought it was a terrible mistake the first game at Jordan-Hare. They just kept probing the middle, and Auburn's defensive line is so stout. There was nothing there. It was like running into a brick wall. You saw right from the very first play on Saturday, toss sweep. They didn't toss one time in the previous game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, they attacked the edge instead of the middle, and they, 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 uh, they actually made, made yards because they've got backs that can make the first guy miss. They're big and physical and fast, and that's the advantage and the strength of their team. I think maybe the growth in the Auburn game and discovering that they can turn this freshman loose and can uh, utilize the entire field instead of keeping it limited 
gives their offense a chance to be on the field and wear down the Oklahoma defense and keep Baker Mayfield on the sideline. I think you're right, Chip. If that game turns into a shootout, I don't think Georgia has a chance to win. I think in a shootout, uh, Baker Mayfield is the ultimate gunslinger and the Sooners will come out on top. But I suspect that Georgia is going to be able to control the game uh, with their running game. And right now I give the edge to the dogs, but uh, that could change. It's three and a half weeks, a lot, of, a lot can happen. Well, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, and as I uh, as I mentioned earlier, I give Oklahoma the edge, um, but I do think Georgia could win the game. But if they do win it, I I don't know that you can stop Baker Mayfield. I don't know that you can. I don't know that Georgia's defense can stop Baker Mayfield. Now Georgia might stop the run, and Oklahoma might have you know 375 yards total offense, but 310 of that's going to be through the air. 320 of that's going to be through the air. So uh, Georgia might win the game, but it's going to have to be differently than they won the game in the past, which makes it so fascinating. Real quick, uh, let's welcome in uh, from uh, Buffalo, New York, the Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasca. Pete, give us your thoughts on the final college football playoff rankings before we get into kind of the discussion on this wild coaching carousel that's going on in college football. But, um, uh, Pete, welcome to the show, and tell us, uh, do you think Kirby Hillcutt and the committee got it right? And how do you see this college football playoff playing out? Well, good evening, fellas, and uh, thanks for having me again tonight. I'd first like to give a uh, congratulations to the Pac-12 champion, USC Trojans. I'd like to start the segment <laughs> off with that, if I may. And a uh, great win by the Trojans. <laughs> That's an inside joke there for you, folks. They know what I'm talking about here. But, um, yeah, yeah, I absolutely think they got it right, Chip. I really do. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, you know, obviously the teams that made it in, uh, you know, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, they the well deserved victories, you know, well deserved you know, spots in, in the uh in the, the bowl championship series here, if that's what we still call it. I can't even remember what they call it anymore. But um anyhow, as far as Alabama getting in over Ohio State, I, I absolutely agreed with it one hundred percent. Um you, you just can't give a two loss Ohio State team um with with a bad loss late in the season to Iowa. A in that game over the Alabama Crimson Tide. And, you know, whether Curve Street and, and, and the rest of the Ohio State Nation believed in, in that, you know, um, decision or not, uh, Alabama absolutely rightfully deserved that spot. And we get to see Clemson and Alabama go at it again. I mean, it's just been, you know, the grand matchup of college football over the past three seasons. And, um, you know, I'm just glad we're going to see it. And I heard you talking uh, Georgia-Oklahoma. Um, interesting matchup. A great win by the Bulldogs. I just can't see them overcoming Baker Mayfield and company either. Uh, Just too hot of a football team right now. Seem unstoppable. And uh, I just hope they can hold up and make it a game because we all want to see a good football game. There's no question. We definitely do. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be both games are going to be fascinating to watch. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate part of – of uh, losing the SEC championship game as we did is I see all my Georgia friends making New Year's plans in Los Angeles. And uh, we, we we lost the game. So I got Peach Bowl tickets. So we play Central Florida in the Peach Bowl at 1230. So while all my Georgia friends are going to Pasadena in L.A. and the Tournament of Roses Parade, 
we get to go play a very good Central Florida team who's going to be coached by Scott Frost, who uh, made the uh, uh, is going to be making the transition over to Nebraska. So, uh, but looking forward to it. I don't know that I would have been able to go make it out to Pasadena, but I can certainly make it down to the Bends at twelve thirty on New Year's Day for the Auburn Peach Bowl, and then leave and be able to watch two semifinals games, so that'll be good. Let's talk about all the coaching carousel stuff. The Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, late this afternoon, the Florida State Seminoles announced that they have reached an agreement in principle with uh, Oregon head coach Willie Taggart uh, to come back to Florida. He's a native of Florida to coach the Seminoles, and I believe I was trying to get information on this before I began the podcast to see if it was the case. But I believe Willie Taggart is the only coach, head coach in college football history to be the head coach at three Division One programs in a one-year period. So 363 days ago, he was the head coach at, uh, I believe it was USF. Is that right? Um, then he got the Oregon job. He was there for a year. And assuming he's announced today, as they're announced tomorrow as the Florida State head coach, in a matter of a 365-day period, he will have have the title of head coach at three schools. So Jimbo Fisher um, got a boatload of money to go to Texas A&M. Typical Jimbo Fisher takes a shot at Florida State as he gets introduced. Um, I'm not surprised, uh, given you know, given who Jimbo Fisher is, but. You know, does Florida State, I mean, uh, is this an upgrade from Jimbo Fisher? Is this about where they were? How do you think Willie Taggart is going to do? Willie Taggart, certainly a very charismatic, very likable coach, uh, was only in Oregon one year. They were 7-5, and five, lost a couple close games. Uh, you could make an argument they could have had eight or nine wins, and maybe next year they would have had eight or nine wins. But, Steve, how do you see this hire playing out for the Seminoles? Oh, I think it's a great hire for him. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, it's it's a huge downgrade. I mean, listen, Jimbo Fisher's one of the top three coaches in college football. You've got Nick Saban, Dabo, and Jimbo. That's it. Everybody else is really trying to become them. And Auburn fans, I know we don't like Jimbo, can't stand him. His halftime adjustments crushed us in that national championship game. The guy can recruit out of the wazoo, and he was able to tame Jameis enough to get a title. Uh, are you kidding me? The guy is an excellent football coach. He did a great job at LSU, at Alabama. He did a great job at Florida State. He's going to do a great job at, at Texas A&M, and I think Texas A&M has a unique opportunity. They have assets. They have rare assets. They have a lot of money. They have a presence in a Texas team that's, that's really kind of faltering and can't get back up. Texas A&M being in the SEC – is set up to really have success. And, and if you don't think Jimbo's not going to get some of these kids from Florida to come up there and play with them, you're, you're kidding yourself. And Willie Taggart, I think, is the best possible option for Florida State because he knows Florida so well. He spent four years at USF, did a great job at Oregon. Um, I, I think, though, it's going to be an adjustment for him. Um, you know, the ACC is not what it used to be. Miami's on the come up. Clemson could be the new Alabama. And there's several other teams like Pittsburgh and others that can just ruin your day. So um, I think that Willie Taggart was a very good move for them. But Jimbo Fisher's in that rarefied company with Dabo and, and, and Nick Saban without question. Interesting, Steve. And you're, you're exactly right on the national title game. The adjustments they made were far superior 
Um, and, we, you know, Gus Malzahn signed an extension this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Bobby Lamb, the Mercer Bears head football coach, made halftime adjustments that were better than Gus Malzahn's when Mercer played Auburn this year. I mean, you know, Gus Malzahn comes up with a good game plan better than anybody. But if his game plan doesn't work, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make adjustments very well. Um, you know, I, I – uh, I don't know how this is going to work for Jimbo Fisher. You know, it could be two, three years from now. You're right, and and this is the case. Uh, I think it's an obscene amount of money to Texas A&M. Uh, I, I think it was an incredible risk on their part. Look, it might pay off, and it might be a fantastic and fantastic investment. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would. Uh, I don't know that Jimbo Fisher. I got a bad, uh, I don't know, if I'm a Texas A&M guy, I might have a little bad taste in my mouth about how he ended up leaving Florida State. But, look, the guy's been able, the guy has been able to coach up until now. We'll see if that continues. Um, and it, it might continue, but it can kind of, you know, kind of put Florida State in a tough spot. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see what Willie Taggart has when he comes back. I mean, he's, he's clearly going to be in a position where he has more athletes and more talent than he's ever had as a coach. And so, you know, if if his coaching skills are well, if you can communicate with the kids, and when you read everything that there is out there in Willie Taggart, that's what, you know, that's what people say are his strengths. He's finally going to have the horses for the courses, as we talk about in golf. And he's going to have the horses for the courses in college football. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. Um, Kip Kiefer. Last week at this time, we were talking about what a mess the Tennessee coaching <laughs> search was. So much so that the Savage Burn missed last week's podcast because he was getting into yes. it, and he turned down the job. And yes. we are here a week later, and there is no end in sight for the Tennessee head coaching job. Mark Bradley from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had an article today, and I'll read you some of the excerpts if you want to get your thoughts on it. Um, the headline from today's article in the Atlanta Journal was, Tennessee finally seems to have grasped, grasped how far it has fallen. Tennessee started out trying to get John Gruden and maybe Chip Kelly. Then it stepped down a tier and it cast its eye on Dan Mullen, David Cutcliffe, and Mike Gundy. Then it stepped down two tiers to court Jeff Brom, Dave Doran, and Kevin Sumlin. Then it stepped back to pursue Mike Leach and a front for which John Curry was apparently axed. Now the Vols are essentially down to career assistant coaches. Even Chad Morris is best known for his time alongside Clemson's Dabo Sweeney. No knock on any of these men, but this tells us how far Tennessee has fallen. Since winning the SEC East in 2007, the Little Orange is 62-63. and 63. They're 26-54. and 54 in SEC play. They are no longer a powerhouse. Far from it. They're yesterday's news, except when it comes to botched coaching searches. They're no longer dealing from strength. Their best hope is to find the right career assistant and hope like heck he grows into the job. And this is Mark Bradley's, the end of the article from uh, Mark Bradley in the AJC today. My pecking order would be Brett Venables. I can't fathom that Brett Venables would want to go to Tennessee and coach um, Mel Tucker and Kevin Steele. Mel Tucker, the defensive coordinator at Georgia, Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator at Auburn, um, with not much separating them. Should Fulmer hire any of these three, I would say 
Yeah, good job, which is something I haven't been able to say about Tennessee football for well over a decade. Kip, how do you handicap this absolute dumpster fire, which is the search for a head coach at Tennessee? Yeah, it, dumpster fire may be too mild a description. I mean, this is this is an all-out uh, three-city block inferno. It is absolutely the most comically mishandled uh, situation in the history of, of maybe a, of, of any coaching search. Everything has been done wrong. Uh, they had um, the press conference last week when Betsy Davenport, the chancellor of the university, who selected Curry to start with um, when a lot of people thought she should have gone with Philip Fulmer, who, believe me, has been there every day uh, manipulating events. Phillips still cannot believe they gave him the axe in 2009. He fancies himself as the greatest football mind of all time. Uh, just ask him. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that the botching of the whole situation is bad enough uh, for anybody who has any interest or could have had any interest in the job. But now with Philip Fulmer in that position, if I'm a coach – I don't want to go there with because Phil Fulmer, athletic director, who was, who still has got a, a major uh, problem with him him being released like he was in favor of Lane Kiffin. Uh, that's something that's stuck in his crawl and it's still there. Um, are, do you want to go and have Phil Fulmer question everything you do and stand it over your shoulder? I I don't think so. Uh, so maybe Philip's strategy is at 67 years old, he saw Bill Snyder come back. Maybe Philip is just going to in the stall. He's in the four corners here, and he's just going to be a couple. He's going to throw his hands up and go, "Well, I can't get anybody to, to, of any quality, so I'm just going to go ahead and name myself coach and athletic director." I uh, I, I know I'm a conspiracy theorist, but uh, Kip, I, I can't. You're not imagine. a conspiracy theorist if you are. Our minds think alike because I was thinking the exact same thing today. Yeah. This looks to me, this looks to me like the vice presidential search that George W. Bush had when he first got elected, <laughs> and he appointed Dick Cheney to be the one to quarterback that effort. And Dick Cheney ended up being the one that was vice president. Yep. It could be. That's right. It could be. It's not. It's 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 not as far fetched as one would think. I still think it's it's not likely, but it's not as big of a long shot as it was last week. Yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense to me because in his mind, he is the Tennessee coach and the best man for the job. He's the best man for athletic director. Um, so, I, 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 you know, a week has gone by since his ascension to the uh, top of the, of the heap. And, you, and as you mentioned, Mel Tucker and Venables, they're tied up uh, with some other uh, projects right now. Uh, but I don't think Tennessee can they wait till January the eighth to name a coach? I, I I just don't I don't think that's very practical either. Or they're looking at at getting further behind in recruiting. No, I agree a hundred hundred and ten percent. Pete Tesca, we had mentioned earlier that Willie Taggart from Oregon had accepted the Florida State head coaching job, and so what that does is it adds to the dominoes that happen this time of year. That you know the Oregon job wasn't open yesterday at this time, and now it's open. So, you know, there are already articles online trying to determine who is going to replace Willie Taggart at Oregon. And ironically, uh, I, I, there's, there's some pretty strong names on the list. I'm going to read them to you. 
Dana Horl, Holgerson from West Virginia. I don't know how in the world he ended up on that list. Evidently, he's been a candidate when that job has opened in the past. Brian Harson from Boise State is on the list. Charlie Strong from South Florida. Rich Rodriguez from Arizona. Wild cards. Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal has been named the interim head coach. He was the co-offensive coordinator at Oregon this season. Um, and so, you know, Mario Cristobal's got to be on that list. But another couple other names on that list as well. Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. His name seems to be continuing to pop up. Do you really think that it's a possibility that Oregon and Lane Kiffin could once again find himself on the Pacific time zone and be the head coach at Oregon? Who do you? I mean, who do you think are are, are likely favorites to succeed Willie Taggart at Oregon? Well, without having much knowledge into, uh, you know, what has transpired there, outside of the fact that I, I heard that uh, Willie Tagger was uh, hired by Florida State, which you were just talking about, Lane Kiffin seems like a, a very logical hire. I know that doesn't make much sense <laughs> uh, from a rational perspective. <laughs> how, um, someone like Lane Kiffin um, could, could be in line for another, you know, plum job. Uh, at the top of the college football world, but it it really does make sense in terms of his you know Pac-12 pedigree that he has, and and in the way he's turned around this Florida Atlantic program in one season. I mean, highly respectable job he's done there, and uh, why not? I mean, Lane Kiffin is obviously a bit of a, a a savant when it comes to offensive football. The guy just knows how to get points on the board, and that's what it's all about. I mean, at the end of the day. You know, defense wins championships. We know the old adage. We know that, uh, you know, offensive line play is critical to scoring those points. But, um, you know, the the, uh, the plays have to be, you know, drawn up by the right people. You have to have the right athletes in place, obviously, as well. Lane Kiffin knows how to get it done. Um, and, and we saw it at Alabama over the last couple of years. As I mentioned, you know, Florida Atlantic, just a great job he's done over there. And uh, why not? Why not Lane Kiffin? It just makes sense. I, 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 what I'd like to ask you, fellas, is whatever happened to the rumors about him possibly going back to Tennessee? Is it just not even plausible at this point? Well, I, I think when he tweeted a photo of Kim Jong Un in a in a in a Tennessee in a Tennessee shirt saying he had turned down the job, I know I I mean, call me crazy. I kind of feel like at that point. The door probably closed on Lane Kiffin coaching the Tennessee Volunteers. Steve Kipp would love to get your thoughts on that. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about Kim Jong Un, and they're worried. They're worried that North Korea is <laughs> tapping the phone. You know, it just, it just oh, looked like said, Pete yeah. that the trolling. The trolling was too much. But go ahead. I think that was yeah, either that was either Kip or Steve. That was going a bit too far, I would imagine, huh? I, I think well, that probably I, that probably went a little too far. Kip, go ahead. But, yeah, I but can Kip, jump in and just oh, say ahead, I, I think I think there's there's a strong contingent that in that Tennessee that was av- actually advocating Lane Kiffin as a as a replacement. Uh, they were impressed with his success, and they were willing to forgive and forget. But I think Phil Fulmer getting the athletic director's job, as much as the Kim Jong Jong Un posting, uh, that as I mentioned before, that is the brash young thirty-something coach that replaced Philip Fulmer, and uh, that didn't go real well. Although Tennessee had a decent year under under Kiffin, 
I think any chance Lane Kiffin had of returning to Tennessee uh, completely went uh, six feet under when uh, Phil Fulmer was named AD. And it might Steve Butler, your thoughts the on the situation? It might have cost him the Oregon job, too. That's a level of immaturity. If I was an AD, I wouldn't want to tolerate. I mean, he, Lane Kiffin's the same guy he was 10 years ago as, as, from a maturity yeah. standpoint. Now, and if you're going to trust somebody with millions of dollars and a program like Oregon, which is a respectable program, I, I think that would be yeah. a huge step back. He is a genius at calling plays, but he couldn't run a freaking donut stand. So I, I wouldn't hire that guy <laughs> if, if I had to. <laughs> Well, if you do hire him, you got to put a clause in the contract saying that that school administrators have complete access to his Twitter password. I think that would be that would be uh, essential in any hire. Um, Steve Butler, one quick question for you before we transition. And uh, gosh, time has flown before we transition and talk about NFL football. But Steve, help me figure this out. I need some help figuring this out because I can't figure out if I'm impressed with this situation or if I'm baffled or if I'm disappointed or what I am. So I was hoping you could help me figure it out. Auburn plays Georgia this Saturday in the SEC championship game. It's a 5 o'clock. Excuse me, it's a 4 o'clock kickoff. 4 o'clock Eastern time kickoff. The team's kickoff. The game doesn't conclude until 7.25. The game concludes in the city of Atlanta at 7.25, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Then the team... The, not the teams, because Georgia won. Auburn obviously went to the locker room and got a head uh, got a head start on leaving. But the victorious team, the Georgia Bulldogs, have to stay on the field for the trophy presentation. Then they have press obligations, and the head coach has press obligations. Then the players shower and they change, or at least the ones that played. Gosh, I hope they showered. Um, then they have a team <laughs> meal which they always have before they end up leaving. Then they have to load up all the equipment on the buses. And then they have to load up all the team on the buses. And then they depart. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's say they got out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium at 9.15. And I think that's probably possible, given what I'm about to walk you through on a timeline. But, you know, that only gives, you know, less than two hours to do all that. I suppose it's possible. They probably got out of there in an hour and a half. About 75 miles from Mercedes-Benz Stadium to Athens. I'm sure they had a police escort, but they're buses, right? So it's not like you're, you know, it's not like you're in a, uh, you know, it's not like you're in a car that can weave through traffic, et cetera, et cetera. They get to Athens, and there's all kinds of videos that are there about the students welcoming them and the reception that they got when the team came back. And rightfully so, they just won the SEC championship. They had just uh, uh, punched a ticket to the college football playoff. Yet somehow, starting linebacker Natrez Patrick and one of their wide receivers, Jason Stanley, at 11.50 p.m. in another county. And again, I'm assuming that Patrick and Stanley rode back to Athens with the team. I'm assuming they were on a bus with the team. But somehow, they come back to Clark County. At 11.50, they're in Barrow County. And Stanley, who is driving the car, gets pulled over for speeding, going 82 and a 65 and weaving through traffic. And in the stop, both Patrick and Stanley got arrested by Barrow County Sheriff deputies. 
It was Natrez Patrick's third arrest on marijuana possession since he had been with the team. Now, the third offense, now keep in mind, this is after two arrests. So the third arrest, according to UGA Student Athlete Handbook, now I'd like to read this handbook. That would be fun exercise, right, the UGA Student Athlete Handbook. But according to the UGA Student Athlete Handbook, the third offense means an automatic dismissal. So Coach Kirby Smart on Monday when he was asked about the status of both Patrick and Stanley, he said, you know, Natrez and Jason, obviously I'm disappointed in some of the actions there. Some of the actions. At 11.50, they were both stoned, and one of them was speeding in another county, and your buses probably just got in there at 10.45. But to make it better, um, according to the police report, Stanley answered a question from the police officer if he had if he was under the influence. And Stanley said to the officer that he had smoked marijuana an hour before. Now, look, I, I don't know exactly what time the team left, Steve, from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But if Stanley had smoked marijuana an hour before, don't you think he was probably smoking weed on the team bus as it was pulling back into Clark County? I mean, help me figure this out, Steve. How can this possibly happen? Ah, I, you know this is this is hard to explain. You would think that Kirby would be more aware of of kind of these incidents being on as many championship teams as he has been. But um, you know that's a pretty tight tight line, and and only one of two things happened. Either one, these kids had a car full of contraband parked right at the buses, which is another set of legal circumstances, by the way. Because on university property and educational grounds, the law is different for drugs. It's not the same as on the highway. Um, it's the, the, the penalties are much stiffer. Um, and, and also, did some of these guys have people drive them home? That's the other question yeah. you got to ask yourself. Because there's no way, and, and, and he probably lied to the officer for the sake of not wanting to be, you know, known to be impaired behind the wheel. Um, he could have smoked it at any given time that he left the bus. But to, to meet any of those timelines, I, I, he'd had to have a car locked and loaded <laughs> waiting for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, right there, and then it begs the question, too. Yeah, and then it begs the question, too. And, look, I was never a student athlete. I played tennis. Uh, that really doesn't count. But I was never. But if I was a starting linebacker of the Georgia Bulldogs, and you've been to Athens, Steve, and I've been to Athens, and you just win the SEC championship, and you punch a ticket to the college football playoff, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of hanging around downtown Athens after I get back because i I got to think good things are going to happen to me down there, right? The last thing I'm going to do is going to get in a car, drive to another county, and smoke pot. I just don't get it. But it's not like Oklahoma's not dealing with their share of problems, too. Their, their starting running back, Rodney Anderson, today was accused of rape, and um, uh, there was a, a – a, a woman who filed for a protective order in Oklahoma claiming she was raped a month ago. So, you know, not, not only talking about the fact that Georgia's not seen a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, and they haven't. Baker Mayfield's not seen a defense like Georgia, and he hasn't. But, you know, we'll have to wait to see how these how these situations play out. It's unfortunate. Hopefully everybody's in a good shape. But, you know, I mean, that is uh, Natres Patrick's third arrest. 
And uh, the irony is his first arrest came when he was a freshman. He was arrested when his, with his then-teammate Chauncey Rivers, and it was Chauncey Rivers' third arrest. And after that arrest, he was dismissed from the team. So I, I, I don't see a scenario in which Georgia can keep Tress Patrick on this football team. He missed five games already this year because of his second arrest, so that's going to be very interesting to see. But Georgia could be without Tress Patrick, and Oklahoma could be without Rodney Anderson. And, Steve, if Oklahoma is without Rodney Anderson, you know who's going to be Oklahoma's starting running back, do you not? No, I don't, actually. True freshman from Sprayberry High School, Trey Sermon, will then be the starting quarterback oh, no for the kidding. Oklahoma Sooners. Oh, running back, excuse me, wow. running back. So uh, fascinating yeah. storylines in college football. Guys, we've blown yeah. through our college football time, and we only have 25 minutes left to talk NFL football and to talk winners and losers, and we have a lot of options this week. Um, Kip, let me start uh, Let me start with you, and uh, then going to go to, 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 uh, to Pete. And... Um, we talked a little bit last week about what a crazy decision it was. Um, New York Giants made to bench Eli Manning after 220 straight starts. Not necessarily that they benched Eli Manning, because I've been saying for years I think that Eli Manning's skills are diminished. I think if his last name wasn't Manning, he would have been replaced by now. But I think what surprised everybody was he was going to sit in favor of Geno Smith. Um that's pretty bad when you've got to sit in favor of Geno Smith. Now, they drafted Davis Webb in the third round. It didn't look like Davis Webb was ready. So Ben McAdoo decides, hey, we're going to sit Eli Manning, and we're going to start Geno Smith. Didn't work out that well for him. The coach and the GM get the ax this week. Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, who um, who has been a longtime Giants defensive coordinator briefly had a head coaching stint uh, with the St. Louis Rams at the time. But uh, keep your thoughts on the disaster that is the New York Giants. It, oh, God. I mean, we've been talking about this all year. This was a team that a lot of people were really high on. And you talk about failure to deliver. But here's my question. The, the giant owner, the Giants owner who stepped up and cited the uh, the expulsion of not only McAdoo but also general manager Jerry Reese, they both got they both got kicked to the curb. Um, yeah. And he, he he cited the fact that he was absolutely furious about the Eli Manning decision. But if you're the owner of the team and the Eli Manning decision is announced whenever it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week and you're furious about it, why do you let it go forward? Is it like, well, uh, you know, I, I mean, why didn't he just step up and go, no, 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 this ain't going to fly. Eli's not sitting down. YouTube birds are, are, uh, are, are out the door. Uh, I, I, that, that just didn't really make any sense to me. It was like, uh, okay, I'll wait until we fall on our face against a, a, what's turned out to be another really enigma of a team, the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders are horrible. And it's it, they're really even yeah. difficult to watch after the twelve and four team from a year ago. They've done everything wrong this year, um, but you know the Giants couldn't even beat that that uh, runaway derailed train uh, with Geno Smith with Eli Manning. I think maybe they would have had a chance to win the game, but maybe that was what the owner was going to say. Well, well, we'll let them go out there and fall on their face, and then I can go ahead and clean house. But I, that just struck me as kind of odd the way all that played out. Uh, maybe McAdoo was going out the door no matter what, 
But uh, you know, the uh, the decision to uh, to do it on Monday, uh, and and if if you were outraged about the decision, why not fire him last week? And 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 yeah. I'm sure Steve Spagnuolo would been glad, happy to start Eli. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't make any sense, and what what a complete disaster that seems to be going on there. Pete Tasca, the Buffalo Bills this weekend played the New England Patriots, and it turned out about like every game that New England Patriots played, they dominated. But what made the game different was a a cheap shot. I wasn't even going to call it a late hit because that, that wouldn't be – indicative of, of, of what really happened. But Tredavious White, I believe it was Tredavious White, intercepts the football. And long after he's down, on the sideline, on the Patriots sideline, Rob Gronkowski comes over, evidently gives him a concussion, takes a cheap shot. The NFL decides only to suspend Rob Gronkowski for one game. I was shocked. I really thought that warranted a four-game suspension, at a minimum a two- or three-game suspension. They gave him a week suspension. What's the buzz up in Buffalo about about the game and about about the cheap shot from Gronk? Well, Chip, as you mentioned, I mean, it was no surprise what transpired in that football game overall. I mean, the, the Patriots just, just absolutely owned the Buffalo Bills. It's... It, it, it was just a recurring nightmare that just won't end um, when it comes to our uh, matchups with this football team. Over, we're going on over 15 years of this now. It, it's just utterly unbelievable. But with, with, a, with a game in hand, you know, deep in the fourth quarter, first of all, the game is over. What are they still doing throwing the ball up the field to, to Rob Gronkowski? You know, when they did, it, it just speaks to just how ruthless and merciless they really are, the New England Patriots. But, yeah, yeah Gronk, it was just, uh, a, just a terrible, terrible decision, obviously. It was a dirty play. There was a debate at, at work, um, you know, about whether it was stupidity or whether it was a, a dirty play. And my content, cause, and there was some back and forth, and, and it was dirty from one end, and it was uh, stupid on the other. And my contention is it was both. It was obviously stupid on Gronk's part, and it was absolutely one of the dirtiest plays we've seen uh, in quite some time, yeah. you know, my my being a Bills fan aside, um, the kid was not only on the ground, was not only helpless, he was on his face. He was on yeah. his stomach, and Gronkowski yeah. jumped on him and smashed him like that, and only get one game out of the deal. Um, you know, I mean, if the it, you know we could, I'm sure the, the Savage Burn has a few thoughts on this. He he's been you know one of the more outspoken. Uh, you know, individuals when it comes to the inconsistencies of the NFL and the problems of the NFL, which are now just becoming chronic on so many levels. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It really doesn't. I mean, that was one of the dirtiest hits we've seen. It was a cheap shot of all cheap shots, no doubt about it. He absolutely should have gotten, in my opinion, in the opinion of most people around here, at minimum two games. But he only got the one. He only got the slap on the wrist. He gets a week off. And and here you go. The Patriots are rolling again, and you know it's it's you know full steam ahead for that football program. It's unbelievable. Nothing seems to derail that football team. It's it's really stunning. It, it is, and I tell you, I mean, we we saw a very physical game last night on Monday Night Football between the Steelers and the Bengals. Look, the Steelers and the Bengals always give us a, a physical football game, but what man, there were some heads cracking on that. Juju Smith Schuster gets a one game suspension. 
because he stands over Vontez Perfect as he as he hits him. Uh, was it well, was a completely legal block? He just kind of stood over him for a while. When I first saw the replay this morning, because I didn't see it last night, I said, "Yeah, man, I can't believe Juju Smith did that." And then I and then I saw that it was perfect that he did that too, and I went, "Oh, that's totally okay, totally okay." <laughs> and you know, and uh, you know, because perfect, one of the one of the cheapest, dirtiest players in the NFL. You know, uh, um, as Antonio Brown said, as uh, as as Juju Smith Schuster in his post game comments was trying to apologize for standing over him because Tomlin had just taken the podium and his remarks and said, "Look, that's not who he is." You know, it was a clean block, but he shouldn't have stood over him. Um, as he's having, as he's trying to apologize in front of this, the press, Antonio Brown's over his shoulder yelling, "It's karma." It's karma, and Antonio Brown's right. He's exactly right. But it didn't help Juju Smith-Schuster not avoid a one-game suspension. But how you only how you only suspend Rob Gronkowski for something that was five to six, seven seconds after the play that gave a guy a concussion, and yet give the same penalty to Juju Smith-Schuster, um, who made a legal block, but he just kind of stood over perfect a little bit I, I don't get it. it it's just it's just baffling um steve real quick I, I i do want your comments on that but since we're running out of time i do also want your comments on uh the game this weekend between at at mercedes-benz stadium just a few hours after the sec title game uh the staff at the stadium was able to kind of change the paint on the field over very quickly and the same place that georgia and auburn played the night before was where Minnesota and Atlanta played at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And, you know, look, the Minnesota Vikings are tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the uh, the New England Patriots, and the Philadelphia Eagles for the um, the best record in the league. So they're, they're, a good, they're a good football team. They might be one of the better football teams in the NFL, if not the best. Um, but I don't know, Steve. It was fourteen to nine. I, you know, I really didn't get a good feeling watching that game. That, you know, that Atlanta had really made as much progress over the last three or four weeks as I thought they made. I thought they were going to win the game. It was a home game. You know, Minnesota. I don't really feel like Minnesota played all that well, but maybe they did. Look, they're a good football team. Case Keenum might be the story of the year. Uh, with what he's been able to do, but what was your assessment of this weekend's game between Minnesota and Atlanta? Well, I think at this point you're making a little bit of a game assessment, a little bit of an assessment of where you are in the season. Um, The Falcons had every opportunity to win that football game. Their defense was stellar. Um, You know, once again, we saw that our defense really isn't the problem. And at times our offense was moving the ball against a good defense, but we sputtered out and, and, and I think it's really just a couple observations at this point in the season. Falcons are eighth in offense and eighth in defense. So they should be winning more football games. They shouldn't be seven and five. Yeah. Um, and what That's we've right. noticed as Falcons fans is that in the fourth quarter, our coaching has been horrible on both sides of the ball. No matter how good our statistics are overall in offense and defense, and I know we're eighth in both categories, I'd be willing to bet if we we took a part in the fourth quarter, we're at the bottom of the league in defense and offense because our offensive calls have been chokes. I mean, they just have not been executing a game plan to win. They've been playing it safe at times when they should have gone for it. Plays are dropping balls. And our defensive calls seem to get a little bit off kilter in the fourth quarter. 
And I really think that's been Dan Quinn's Achilles heel since he's been a coach. His fourth quarter yeah. coaching, and it's not just the Super Bowl. We've seen this in four other big games, and, and we've picked them apart here on the Red Zoom Sports Report. As a coach, he's going to have to evolve because he's got the players right now. And what we're seeing yeah. is overall statistically the performance has been very good. Six out of the last seven weeks, Matt Ryan has been ranked the best quarterback in football. We've got to learn how to close the deal. And we don't have coaches, I think, that have the experience because of Sark his first year, um, Manuel's first year, and, of course, Dan Quinn's only in his third year. We just don't have a lot of experience in closing games, and I think it's pretty obvious. We don't have experience in closing games, Steve. You're exactly right. And, look, Minnesota's got a great defense, so taking nothing away from them. We only scored nine points. We kicked three field goals. Matt Bryant missed a field goal late. Yeah, okay, maybe he should have kicked four field goals. But the reality is you got to get in the end zone, even against good football teams. And, you know, we've, we've got the pieces to do that. And the fact that we didn't get in the end zone the entire game, it, it's problematic because I don't, I don't think Minnesota was – was really, um, you know, was really hitting on all cylinders either. But they were able to get away from it. They were able to get a win. Um, Kip, before we get to winners and losers, this week in the NFL, um, especially this late in the season, you know, you don't normally have five games of teams with winning records. We have that this week in the NFL. Um, The Falcons don't get a whole lot of time off. Neither do the New Orleans Saints. Um, The Saints come into the Benz. Thursday, uh, two days from now, to, to take on the Falcons. The Saints, obviously, 9-3, Falcons, 7-5. Uh, but another big game, too, probably the biggest game of the year so far, regular season-wise, the 10-2 and Philadelphia Eagles. Um, coming off a loss at Seattle, um, went all the way across the country, played Seattle on Sunday night, um, didn't end up pulling out that game, lost uh, 10-2. And then they lost Angeles. Rams nine and three. So you got a ten and two Eagles team and nine and three Rams team. Kip handicapped that game for us. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Well, I mean, I, the Eagles uh, doing the rare double uh, West Coast swing. So uh, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure they stayed out there, uh, probably somewhere in California. Uh, of course, half the state's on fire, so maybe that wasn't a very good decision either. But um, uh, I I suspect you're going to see a lot better effort from the Eagles this week. I think the the long winning streak they had, um, they just weren't hitting on all cylinders. Seattle had to have that game to stay relevant. I thought the Seahawks' defense um, really took some things away from the Eagles that others have failed to do. Uh, Carson Wentz couldn't hurt them with – with, with it just seems like they're, they're just on one of those roles this year where they make the timely play every every opportunity they get, and it just didn't happen on Monday night. Uh, it just didn't look like the same Eagles team. But I can't imagine, as good as that team has looked, that they're not going to bring a big effort uh, against the Rams uh, on Sunday in the Coliseum. And, you know, the Rams, I, you know, I, 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 I'm still a little bit of a holdout. As impressive as that team is, and they just keep uh, piling up the victories, and, and Goff and Gurley are terrific on offense. Their receiving core keeps making plays. Uh, the defense has been outstanding. Um, I don't know. I, I just really lean the Eagles. I think this was just one of those classic West Coast trips where playing, they're playing two good teams. Uh, they probably figured to split these two games. 
it would have been probably a little bit unrealistic to expect him to win both of them. Uh, for no other real reason other than the fact that I just think Philadelphia's a better team, I think they'll find a way to win Sunday and beat the Rams. Yeah, it's going to be tough to beat Philly two weeks in a row, so it's going to be interesting to see. Guys, we're going to take a quick break and come back with winners and losers because our hour and a half has flown by, and we only have ten minutes left. Before we take a quick break, I want to make a kind of a scheduling announcement on what we're going to be doing on the podcast in the month of December. Um, we are going to be um, having the podcast next Tuesday at our regularly scheduled time, uh, the uh, 12th of December at 8.30. And we are going to spend most of the show, an hour and a half on the show, uh, talking NFL. We're not going to really going to do any college football previews. Everything's kind of come to a conclusion on that front, at least before the bowl season kicks up. And uh, we will do a little bit of preview later on in December after Christmas about the college football playoff. But we're going to spend an hour and a half talking NFL football. And we're going to talk a lot of fantasy football because we haven't been able to talk a lot of fantasy football so far this season on the podcast. But, you know, uh, today I had an opportunity to go back and look at all of my uh, all of my draft sheets um, uh, for my uh, – I'm on the three fantasy football teams and, and all of my draft sheets and, and to look at who the top 10, 15 players are at each position today and who the projections were at the beginning of the season, it really confirms what we all knew, and that is really how, I don't want to say irrelevant the draft is, but um, how irrelevant the draft is, because it was a, a fascinating exercise to see who was you know, who was up front. We obviously know the Odell Beckhams and the David Johnsons and, and folks that were uh, clearly supposed to be two, top two or three in their position that suffered early season-ending injuries. But then you had a lot of other players, too, that uh, weren't in the top 50, weren't in the top 60, and ended up finding their way in the top 10. So we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. And uh, we're also, as, as we as we knock down another week in NFL action this weekend, we are uh, the playoff picture is really starting to be a little little clearer than it's been. We're, we're starting to have a pretty good understanding on of what teams are going to be there. So next week, the 12th, we will spend the entire time talking about NFL. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break. We are not going to come uh, with you on the 19th, um, the, the, the weekend really before Christmas. We're going to come back at you after the 12th. Our next podcast will be on Thursday evening, December 28th. So it will be after Christmas, before New Year's, and and that is going to be an opportunity for us. We are likely going to have possibly a two-hour podcast that night. We are going to be talking about what it what will be the last week of the NFL season, um, but we also are going to be previewing uh, we're going to do deep previews on a lot of bowl games. We're going to be talking about college football playoff, the, the two games that we talked about today. But then there's four or five other very intriguing bowl games that I really want to get into. So that's the schedule for December. We're going to come at you again twice next Tuesday. But then our next podcast will be Thursday the 28th. And then we will come back on the podcast on Tuesday, January 2nd. <laughs> Excuse me, which is a Tuesday, and at that point we will wrap up all the activity from the day before. Um, both of the college football semifinal playoff games and the Peach Bowl, Auburn plays 
Central Florida in the Peach Bowl. So we'll certainly talk about that, too. We're going to take a 30-second break. When we come back, we're going to hit winners and losers for the week in sports. So stick with us. talked about him is, is Rob Gronkowski of the New England Patriots. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty obvious. You knew I was probably going there this week. It was just such a dirty, filthy, rotten play. And uh, he gets the one game. He should have gotten at least two. Kip, you think he should have got four. Uh, just a terrible football play. And, uh, you know, de- definitely a mark on the New England Patriots in the NFL. My winner of the week, gentlemen, is Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots. Why? Because he once again – has managed to exploit the ineptitude, the chronic ineptitude of the Buffalo Bills organization. <laughs> the, the, the young man's name is Eric Lee. Eric Lee is a, a second-year player at the University of South Florida, six foot three, two hundred sixty pound, uh, defensive end, linebacker hybrid that was on the Buffalo Bills practice squad in September up until two weeks ago when Bill Belichick decided to poach Eric Lee from the Buffalo Bills practice squad, (laughs) proceeded to plug him in against the Miami Dolphins where he had five tackles and a key sack in that football game last week. And then this week in Buffalo against the Buffalo Bills, the coup de grace of Eric Lee and Bill Belichick in this ongoing saga that we live here in Buffalo. (laughs) Eric Lee had the key interception of the football game intercepting Tyrod Taylor down at the two-yard line after a great drive to start that football game. Completely turned the game around. Eric Lee ended up with four tackles, the interception I mentioned, and a sack-and-a-half, and a pass defense in that football game. It is utterly unbelievable what we witness <laughs> in this town when it comes not only to our team, but what we witness from that team as well. It's a double whammy here in Buffalo, folks. <laughs> Steve Butler, your winners and losers for the week in sports, but how do you follow that up when the savage burn has Bill Belichick as his winner for the week? <laughs> ah, well, I'm going to kind of piggyback on some of it um, uh, with his Gronkowski pick. My loser of the week is going to be John Gruden. He went on this diatribe just absolutely crucifying these players for their hits. And then he went on to his clip scene right after that and was showing the Gruden grinder with a bunch of hits. The killer bees doing their thing, this, that, and the other. The NFL needs to figure out who they want to be and who they want their spokesman to be because I thought it was yeah. com- completely disingenuous on his part to be highlighting violence and then just throw these guys under the bus. John Gruden, you're a part of this machine too. You all are. Decide who you want to be. Decide if you want to clean up the game a little bit or not. But the suspension's doled out. John Gruden's my loser of the week for – obviously what he said, but the NFL really does need to learn how to get this right. Um, the Gronk situation and those other blocks and hits weren't even in the same league. Um, my winner of the week is going to be, this is no surprise, but it might surprise you for the reason, is Coach uh, Brian Bohannon of the Kennesaw State University uh, football program. 
I got the unique opportunity to go on the field and then go in the locker room after they beat Jacksonville State last weekend in the second week of the playoffs, and, and that's not what impressed me. What impressed me is that Coach Bo, after the game, hardly even talked football with the players. He wow. took a prayer request after the game. They don't talk about football. He congratulated them on what a great game they played. They sat there for 30 minutes, and eight different players came up with different people in their family that had cancer, and they sat there and had therapy hmm. as a team. I can tell you that's how you get kids to run into a brick wall for you. It's a very good atmosphere in that locker room, and Coach Bohannon's my coach and player and winner of the week. Very deserving winner of the week. My my oldest son, Austin, came in just today, Steve, and, and uh, he wasn't kidding when he said, why doesn't Tennessee hire Brian Bohannon to coach their team? And he didn't say that facetiously. <laughs> He didn't. I mean, he, yep, he wasn't right. having as much fun with the Tennessee coaching position as we are. He said, "Look, he's a good football coach. Why didn't they?" So, a very deserving winner of the week, and and he might have three more games left. So we'll see. Kip Kiefer, you got one minute for your winners and losers of the week in sports. I can handle that. Uh, my winner is a guy that I've always kind of liked his attitude and his spirit. I didn't like that his team beat the Falcons because I was certainly rooting for the Falcons, but. I'm going to give Mike Zimmer the winner of the week. Even if, if the Vikings uh, don't finish the season as impressively, I think they've won now eight in a row. Not a team that anybody was very high on. Sam Bradford went down after the first week. Teddy Bridgewater still wasn't ready to come back. And with, a, with Case Keenum, a quarterback that was pretty much on the scrap heap, this team, all they do is win every week. And Mike Zimmer is old school. He tries to win games 14 to 10 and 20 to 17. Uh, you know, in, in an age where football has changed a lot, it's nice to see a guy that uh, just was a, a journeyman career assistant. Uh, he had a tragic story. Uh, his wife died unexpectedly five or six years ago when he was defensive coordinator with the Bengals. I think she had an aneurysm or something horrible like that. It was totally unexpected. And uh, the the guy's a great story. He, he again, he's he's uh, he, he's kind of direct. He's kind of blunt. But uh, I always like to see guys like him succeeding. Uh, you know, in in a place that you really didn't have that expectation. My loser of the week's not really losers because they're going to a bowl game. But my loser of the week is the Middle Tennessee State University Blue Raiders. Two years ago, <laughs> they went six and six and went to the Hawaii Bowl. That's not all bad. Last year they got they got the seven and five and they went to the Bahamas Bowl, and this year seven and five once again. How do they complete that trifecta? They've got a Mobile. all expense trip to Mo- no worse than that Montgomery for the Camellia Bowl. <laughs> Kip, good winners Hawaii. and losers, guys. We're out of time. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week, same place, same time. Red Zone Sports Report. <laughs>